Hi, everybody. I'm Dale Sparagi, love and relationship coach and host of this podcast, New Wave Relationships, about all things relationships, relationship to self, others more than other, couples, singles, breakups, and dating. What's new in relationships and how relationships are changing and evolving, especially post-COVID, post-digital, post Me Too, and sadly to say, post no Roe versus Wade. So we're talking about finding love and losing love, creating lasting love and lifestyle. I'm thinking of this as a forum for relationships. So please, if you have any burning questions, send them in. Or here's something novel. If you'd like some coaching, if you're struggling with something in your relationship and you'd be willing to do the session here so others can benefit, please email me at dale at creativecorecoaching.com. In this episode of the New Wave Relationships podcast, Dale and I will be discussing triggers and relationships. To explain how triggers work, we will go over the nervous system, attachment theory, IFS, and the drama and empowerment triangles. How can we hold ourselves strongly yet softly with stressful and triggering situations? What practices can we develop? How does our bodies relate to our minds and perceptions to create triggers? We will reflect on our own experiences and how we can support ourselves and partners when triggers arise. Please feel free to interact with our Spotify questions and polls. Thank you. Hi, Sonny. Hi. Oh, my gosh. I am good and a little triggered. <laughs> I'm, I'm triggered just in time for our episode, our episode on mm -hmm. triggers. No way. <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. Uh, yeah, I, I relate to your experience. I've also had a triggered week with a, a performance that I put together at a local kind of solstice gathering that took a lot of work and the holidays, right? And gifts buying and, you know, all kinds of things in my life that definitely are keeping me triggered too. So I, I feel you on that for sure. Yeah, it's that time of year. And, you know, we're with family, we're with friends, we're a little bit more sensitive and than usual, and we've a little bit more overwhelmed. So it seems like the triggers are just flying. Yeah, definitely. And that's how they work, right? They are very like rockety and neurons that fire together, wire together. And that's definitely what we're gonna be talking about today with how, you know, we decided to label this episode trigger warning just about how, um, you know, life can be so crazy. And, you know, um, we just really wanted to go over like how triggers work, what they are, and how we feel about them, and try to explain them in a way to where they're not so scary, you know, because they can feel really scary sometimes, I think. Mm. Yeah, they feel scary and they feel like they're kind of taking us out of time, definitely out of current time, because often they're coming from something that happened to us in the past that's now we're kind of reliving or we're concerned about reliving, 
where it's kind of like that that memory that oh this this could happen again so it's that anxiety those anxiety provoking moments when we're really not here we are actually somewhere else when we're triggered because if we were here we wouldn't be we would be regulated and we'd be able to deal with what was going on and that definitely brings up a familiar word to the whole conversation that we're going to have which is trauma so uh, we just wanted to start off our episode with a quote, uh, which would be Gabor Mate's quote that trauma is not what happens to you. It is what happens inside of you as a result of what happens to you. So I think that does kind of really speak to what you're saying, where um, triggers kind of become a state of consciousness, even though they are also simply a way your body is physically, psychologically reacting to something. It is something that takes you out of time that can be disillusioning and disassociative. And also it is how your body is physically reacting to something, state of consciousness and how your brain's working. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's also, it's stuff that's stored in your body that hasn't been resolved, right? Leftover from some something that happened in your past and there hasn't been any resolution there hasn't been any emotional completion to to resolve this so it's it's sitting in your body and actually i really believe that it's sitting in your body and waiting to be healed so you know the fact that we get triggered you know yeah we hate it and yes it can cause all kinds of problems with us and in our relationships. But the truth is, if we don't get triggered, that stuff is just going to stay dormant and we will never have the opportunity to heal this, this stuff that's, that's there. Yeah. I really appreciate that optimism because I hear so many of my friends and people I love feel so, you know, out of the world, just out of body with how intense triggers are. It feels like such a drama and such a huge story to be feeling so deeply. You know, it feels like the end of the world is happening in the moment. What a drama. So um, to hear someone say like, oh yeah, these are things that want to be healed, that can be healed, that can be worked through, I think is probably one of the most important pieces of advice that we'll go over towards the end on this subject is that you can work through these things and they you know, having an optimistic mindset is probably one of the most biggest tools into healing these wounds. Yes. Did you want me to go right into the the brain and all that? Yeah, let's start with, you know, Sonny did this great research on, on the nervous system and how um, triggers kind of are woven into that. So yeah, let's, let's, um, let's talk about that. Yeah. So um, basically, I have a bachelor's degree in psychology, so this is my rough effort of my old degree. But um, basically, our brain has a nervous system and our brain has a limbic system. And through our body, we have these structures and pathways that neurons travel through. And these neurons send electrical signals throughout our body to communicate for us to do certain things. It can be communicate to us that our finger is cold or hot or how to move our hands and also how we feel about things. And our nervous system is very essential to how our body functions. 
So part of trauma and part of feeling and part of triggers directly starts in our limbic system, which our limbic system is specific brain structures and pathways that define our emotional state, our emotional consciousness. So how we feel love and fear and that whole spectrum in between. And those structures are specific brain areas. So right, the amygdala, hippocampus, hypothalamus, just to name a few. And those parts of our brains are interpreting how we're feeling in a certain situation when we feel abandoned or broken up with or when we fall in love. And that also includes um, that limbic system kind of has these other parts, right, where it leads down to the nervous system. And the nervous system has these, all these, there's different parts of the nervous system, right? There's parts of the nervous system that control like your like digestion. And then there's parts of the nervous system that control your emotional state. So I'm going to focus on the emotional state, which would be more of the autonomic nervous system. Okay. And that has two branches that are the sympathetic and then the parasympathetic. And the one that you think of first with triggers that you might not know you're thinking of is the sympathetic nervous system. And that is the fight or flight response. And the opposite of that is the parasympathetic nervous system. So that's like relax and regroup. So they inversely relate to each other and they really need each other to make a person. So, um, you know, when I'm, because of my psyche and how I work, when I'm very stressed about being 10 minutes late to work, that is my sympathetic nervous system going on. And once I get to work and I realize I'm totally fine and it's just another day in the job, then that's when I relax and regroup and have a coffee and I chill out and everything's fine. And so the physical differences that happen to your body from my interpretation of the event of being late to work, the fight or flight part is I have an increased heart rate my digestive system stops because my body has to focus all on my immediate environment. You know, all your neurons are changing, your bloodways are changing, so you can focus on how to protect yourself. So, you know, your digestive system isn't going to be going. Your pupils dilate to focus on the situation, right? So that's just a couple things. It's very like hunter-gatherer kind of experience as well. Life or death. It's not really life or death that I'm late to work, but that's how it feels. So then... With the parasympathetic, it is relax and regroup, right? So that is, I have a low heart rate, my digestion's working, and um, my pupils are constricted. So everything's nice and relaxed. And um, yeah, so that's just a, the quick just of that. And that happens physically to us in relationship at times and in life all the time when we interpret our our perception is interpreting our relationships as live or die situations and situations as live or die experiences. So we can do certain things to biohack those um, nervous system experiences. So I, I just said a lot. So Dale, do you have any thoughts you can add on to what I'm saying really quick? Or I feel like I cleared that up. Okay. Yeah. Well, you did a beautiful job of explaining, you know, the the kind of like science behind triggers, right? And and um, you know the the this sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, these two channels that are working together, and what it also relates to our attachment styles, right? So this idea of trauma comes from you know being dysregulated 
and then not being able to become regulated. So in a way, you know, it is about life and death because as because as a young child, when when these when, when this trauma is formed, right, we our caretakers are pretty much our lifeline. So if they're not meeting our needs, if they're not coming to us when we're in distress, if we're not if they're not attuning to us, if they're not taking care of us, then it does feel like like death. And and honestly, you know, the, when I know I've had triggers where that's really kind of what it feels like. I mean, I really feel like this is like so stressful that I cannot come back. I cannot come, I cannot regulate my parasympathetic nervous system to come back to any kind of regulation. And to me, that's what a trigger is. And that's some of the, the kinds of triggers that I've experienced. And I know people with you know, trauma with a little T and trauma with a capital T experience when they're triggered. I mean, this is deep stuff we're talking about. This is not just, you know, oh, I'm scared right now. This, this is a lot deeper than fear, right? Mm -hmm. Definitely. And um, I think that how, going back to what you said about kind of childhood there, because that's where it starts. So I almost want to go into there a little bit more and can bring that into the brain a little bit even. Because when we're children, we are observing our surroundings and our perception and our awareness is taking everything in. And we are learning what our model of love and relationship is from our parents, right? So when we are learning our model of love, we can learn in some circumstances an extremely unhealthy and unsafe version of love is and sometimes a, a very healthy version of what love is and those contribute to how our relationships are in the present and how we then perceive what's happening to us in the present is by how we perceived what was happening to us in the past and that perception is what grills and draws into your brain the pathways that send the chemicals to your brain that tell you that that's happening. So that's why it is so hard to work through these triggers and, you know, cure them for lack of a better word, because your brain is configured so strongly in one direction or the other. And that's why, you know, neurons that fire together, you know, the little things that go through your brain that have the chemicals and neurotransmitters that tell you this is how you're feeling. They fire together, they wire together. So the more they're going in one direction, the more they make those directions and therefore make your reality. So being able to rewire that is being able to change your perception with like your conscious self in the present. You can't go back and change the past and you can't really go into your brain and reconfigure those structures. You have to actively practice through, you know, awareness and effort and support and philosophy, you know, many ways and lots of practices to, to be able to reconfigure that brain. But don't let that be, you know, a challenge you can't defeat because it's the only thing you need to defeat, right? In a way, like that is like the battle. Yeah. And also, I think, you know, you're, you're bringing out the point that kind of underneath these triggers, there is some unmet need. So part of the healing is figuring that out, right? 
So sometimes people get triggered from fear of abandonment. So, so what is that, that unmet need that we're thinking is going to happen in the moment? Like we think we're going to get dropped in the moment or someone is going to leave us. And yet that need is like for someone to be with us, for someone to show up for us. So part of the healing process with these triggers is finding out what that unmet need is and then figuring out how do we get that now? And usually the way we get that now in our life is not from somebody else. And we're never going to get it from the parents or the caregivers who didn't give us for some, for whatever reason, weren't able to give it to us. So, so we're not going to get it from them. So the, re, the way that we actually will get this need met is by, by working with ourselves, right? By finding that part of us that part of us that feels abandoned, that part of us that's triggered and holding that part of us and working with that to give it attention and, and kind of reparent in a way or create this relationship with this part, this communication so that the need can feel as if, ah, yes. Yeah, so, so this part can then relax, can let go of this fear that it wasn't able to let go of so far, right, in our life. So, so that's a big part of the healing process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's working with that part. It's finding that, it's acknowledging that there is a part of us. That's unmet, yeah. That is still stuck in that place of maybe when we were whatever age that we did not, could not get this need met or had this traumatic experience happen so, so it's working with that part of us. That's part of the healing. One, one way that I, that I know has, works really well is um, this, this system of internal family systems, which is a, a form of therapy working with our parts, working with the different parts of ourselves and um, kind of inquiring into each part and what stage of life did they get stuck in? Did this part get stuck in? What was the trauma? Kind of unearthing um, what happened and, and what were the feelings around this and what were the needs? And giving this part attention becomes part of the healing. And then this part is able to actually let go of what they've been holding on to. This is a really healing way of kind of releasing the origin of the trigger in, in a way, right? This is like, where do these triggers come from? So, so being in the inquiry of where, what is this about, mm -hmm. right? Instead of just staying on the surface level of like, wow, I'm out of my body right now. I'm out of my mind. I can't relate to anybody. I'm in this either angry or withdrawn or, um, some way of, of not being able to communicate as an adult. Usually it, you're with someone. I know, you know, lots of times this happens in couples or in relating with someone else. So I'm in this place where I'm unable to, to relate and communicate as an adult person. Mm -hmm. That's part of a trigger, right? So what do I do? Yeah, it seems like you just hit this space of apocalypto. And that becomes the end all for some people for a long time. 
And I understand why, obviously, you know, I think that a lot of art can simply describe what an apocalypse looks like, and it can feel like that too. And it's really easy to, to kind of be so hit by it to not even recognize that it's happening because it's happened for so long. You know, it's really easy to pull those same partners again that recreate that trauma as well, right? Because that model that we're raised with is a perfect puzzle piece of familiarity, you know, and that kind of goes into kind of the the Freudian stuff of, you know, you will kind of seek partners who are like your caregivers. When that happens, if your caregivers don't have healthy relationships towards you and to each other, then you're accidentally, unintentionally, you know, reliving that trauma a lot. And you're like, why is this happening to me? I keep getting in relationships where my needs aren't met and I don't feel seen and I'm not seeing myself and I'm not meeting my needs. Nobody ever loves me in the way that I need. Nobody ever holds me. Nobody ever sees me. Nobody ever believes me. All those stories that come up. And, um, you know, when you're able to start noticing that pattern, then start taking action to stop it. There's a lot of really cool models that are in the field that can help us access those parts, including right IFS about really identifying that I am not this trigger. I am not you know, just an anxious attachment style. I am not just somebody who can't be loved or cannot be seen or cannot be valued, right? I am more than that. And there is a part of me that sometimes has felt undervalued and moving through that, towards that direction with it a bit of when you identify your trauma part of you as a, just a part of you, not all of you to where it takes over your whole life, you're really able to take more action with it, is my point. And I think you were trying to say that as well. Yeah, absolutely. When you can disidentify enough, when you can get enough distance to see that it is a part of you, that it's not all of you, then that's, you know, that, then already you're kind of in that process of, you know, what is this about and how can I work with this? And how is this impacting not only me, but how is this impacting my relationships? And um, yeah, and kind of what what can actions can I take now to work with this? Because I don't want to continue to you know be in these places where I'm getting tr emotionally triggered, and then I'm making all this stuff up about things that aren't real, and then I'm putting them on somebody else because that's usually what we do. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then everything turns into like a big mess, you know, and now we've got to talk our way out of it, right? Yeah. One thing you said to me the other day when discussing this subject is that you said um, adult conversations cannot be had when inner children are talking. Remember that? I do. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when we're triggered. We're not in our adult because if we were, we, be, we would be able to have, we'd have agency we have empowerment, and we would know that it, that this part of us was making stuff up about something that wasn't real, but that was an old pattern or old trauma that still lived in our body. But when you're in the trigger, and I know this personally, because when I'm in the trigger, it's like I can't see the forest for the trees. I can't find my adult. I haven't been able to. But I have been, but I've been working very hard, actually, on the parts of me that do get triggered, and I'm understanding them better, and I'm developing a rapport with them, 
So instead of, you know, identifying with the part of me that feels abandoned at certain times um, in my relationship, now I can say, oh, okay, I see you. I see you, the part of me that when I was six years old, you know, my dad put us all on a train and sent us back to where we were. I, I, I see you I, and I feel your pain. And the truth is that now I am a woman in my 60s. We're not six years old anymore. And, you know, we, we've lived a lot. We're, we're accomplished. And you, you don't have to be in, you don't have to have this fear anymore. It's not a real fear. So there's this talking this part of me out of and off the ledge in a way. And the more I do that and the more this part hears me and I can really, I'm really creating this relationship with this part and I'm able to contain all of the feelings that come up around being abandoned, the grief, the, the anger, the, the sadness, I can contain that and I'm not leaking it all over my partner. Then I, I see that I'm making progress and I'm actually healing this stuff on a deep level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's cool how you're able to um, like really look at the story and specifically pick out the feelings related to the things that happened to you and make those into parts that you're able to kind of like each feeling has like possibly a story or a reason and because we have a lot of different feelings that come up, like like you said, grief, abandonment, um, loss, things like that. And, you know, sometimes it's not as, um, you know, simple as like this feeling relates to the story. But it seems like in, in your story, there's a lot of different feelings you're able to kind of look at in different ways. I relate to that just because I also have struggled with abandonment issues and with some of my first relationships, I really used to have like chronic anxiety attacks and it was an attachment, anxious attachment based anxiety attacks where, um, you know, I would hear something, uh, a sentence or something of the sort or not be responded to on accident because I wasn't heard. I said something quiet, who knows? Um, and then all of a sudden I'm having like a panic attack because I interpreted that silence or I interpreted um, that sentence as I'm leaving you, I don't love you, um, I don't see you, and you're not important to me, and I'm gonna go, and it doesn't really matter what happens to you. And so that caused me many years of suffering in that fear that would cause me to not be able to move, have to be physically removed from spaces into other spaces, which really sucked. And, you know, I have that happen, and it's been many years, but I've, I've had that happen a bit still today, not at the same degree though, like much less. And what was a huge change for me was um, really learning how to break through my physical, emotional turmoil in the moment. Like it, it took me a long time of just feeling it and just experiencing how intense that was and really sheer effort of being like, I'm doing the best I can and my best is on the floor right now. And now when it happens, you know, if it's a really good day and it's a small trigger, I'm able to go, hey, I noticed myself feeling uh, triggered right now in this way and I'm feeling a little anxious about this thing you said. 
I'm pretty sure that's not what you actually said. So could you just clarify that to let me know so that I can just drop that whole story away, please? And then if I'm with a good partner at the time, they 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 agree and they, they let me know and they tell me, yeah, of course, no. They don't shame me. They don't ignore me. And, you know, they, they just hear me and they, they work it out with me. So um, I just want to share that because it's like, there are times when it's a bad day, though, where I do get caught in something and I, and I have to, like, breathe it through and cry a little bit. But I, I am able to use my words. It, it took me a long time of really just recognizing my own feelings. That was the biggest thing for me. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and I think what you're speaking to, and maybe you can even say more about how you actually stay with these feelings because mm -hmm. now we're kind of going back to the science because it's about regulating our nervous system. So when we're able to be with the feelings without acting out on them, mm -hmm. but just being with them, that's containment. Yeah. Right? So we can hold those feelings. We can contain those feelings. So can you say more about how you actually do that? Because that's not always easy. And, and again, children can't do that. So when you're really triggered into some young trauma that you had, and you're in that child consciousness, then you really can't contain those feelings. Yeah, I think that, um, I think for different types of people, it's worked through differently. For some people, their work is you know, going towards their partner. And in other situations, it's a distancing themselves from their partner. That's more helpful. And that's in, in relationship. But when it's by yourself, that can be more interpreted as, you know, do I go internal with my feelings or do I express my feelings outward? So in my circumstance, um, I think it was actually, I, I've known so much about my issue that's very complex. It felt like it was a mix of both. It felt like it was very important to me for a while um, to express myself so I could understand what was going on for me, you know, express my emotions, express my fears. But then when that happened, it was so explosive. So then after a long time of really expressing myself to my my people, my therapists, my loved ones, my my partners, my friends, it actually became, okay, now that I've, now that it's all on the table, you know, I've had all these feelings, I've had all these uh, anxiety attacks, I've experienced this, now it's time for me to go inward. Okay, now I know that my feelings are okay to have. I understand what they're about. Now I need to learn to contain them inside myself and breathe with them. I can hold these in. I actually don't need other people to help me work through those. Like I need to sit with them first because sometimes in those experiences I had where I let all those anxieties out, I said things I didn't mean. I said things on accident that would trigger my partner, the domino effect of, you know, triggers triggering the other and down the dominoes, right? So unintentionally in that release of expression, in my suffocation, apocalypto, internal self, I would hurt people and I would hurt myself. So being able to really learn to keep it in, to think, okay, you know, not like hurt people really badly, but like, you know, just keep it in and be like, do I actually feel that way? Do I, you know, what do I think about this person? How do I feel about myself in this? Taking time. So now I'm on this, this train of containment, but you know, it's really, I think time, 
time and awareness. My therapist always would kind of coach me in um, really just meditation. I mean, just breathing more often through the experience, remembering to take a breath when things are happening, bring awareness to the situation, slow it down, stop it when it's too intense. It's okay to walk away in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And and you know what you're saying, I think, you know, I I learned the hard way too because I had a trigger that triggered my partner. And because I wasn't containing myself and I wasn't working, I wasn't in my adult consciousness, I I learned that I, you know, the impact that it has on him. Mhm. Right? So now I, I, because of that, because I, because it did kind of get, yeah, it kind of got explosive. You know, we had a fight Mm -hmm. and that doesn't happen often. So I learned that, yeah, this is mine. This is mine. So I've got to first be with myself here. And, um, and I, and, and, and then I learned how to, you know, what can I share? You know, maybe I can share, oh, I need a moment. I'm making stuff some like this story up. I'm getting triggered. That's okay, right? I can share that. But as soon as I start to actually act out from that, from that child consciousness, it's very unproductive and can be hurtful. And then that triggers him. So that was a hard lesson. But I think from that lesson, I've... I'm now able to, um, to, to hold it better myself because I don't want to get to, I don't want it to get to that level. I think what you're describing is the difference between, um, you know, presently speaking your feelings and sharing them when you're triggered in like informing your partner on what's going on versus outburst behavior, which outburst behavior is when, you're trying to get a certain psychological trauma need met through actions of unintentional manipulation or, you know, fits, panic attacks, you know, not that these are intended, but your brain just kind of not short circuits, but hijacks over what you actually want to happen. That's why these things are so unexpected and explosive because it's hijacking it. So, you don't want that to happen because that's where the fight can occur, right? Yeah, and what what real what what that looks like is, you know, these strategies that we developed as children to kind of protect ourselves, right? So it could be angry, it could be pushing people away, it could be blaming, it could be withdrawing. Um and those are all, you know, strategies that don't work anymore as adults. Right? period. But, but we're still relying on those because they helped us when we were kids, but they're not helping us today. So I think another aspect of triggering that is a good thing is it brings out those strategies, mm-hmm. right? It brings out the, the, the ways that are maladaptive today as an adult in, in, in relating to others, and then gives us a chance to re- to look at those and to redo them and to, and to work with our adult self in relationship rather than these maladaptive strategies that come from a child's consciousness. So now we're talking about the healing part. We're, heal- 
We're healing. We're talking about the healing aspects of trauma, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just about, I think, um, you know, it's, it's as though you can't be a child in an adult relationship. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't work, right? It doesn't work when you're, you know, a six-year-old relating to a nine-year-old. Of course not. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I work with couples and I see this all the time, mm-hmm. you know, couples are relating from this child consciousness and, you know, they're both, they both can't figure it out. They can't figure out why they're not collaborating, mm-hmm. you know, why there's so much blame, why there's so much shame. Um, and, and that's why, because they can't get to a place of being an adult that they're, that they're acting out, um, from this, this child consciousness. So it's really helpful to see this, to see this in ourselves to, so what you were saying, right? Like the step, the first step is awareness, mm-hmm. you know, like looking at, Oh, what just happened? You know, what was I feeling? What, what was the underlying need? What was I, how was I acting out? And how can I do it differently next time? What can I do to regulate? And sometimes I know when my partner and I got into this, you know, where we were both triggered, we both said, you know, we've got to take some space here, right? No one's going anywhere, but let's just take, you know, you you go to your space, I'm going to go to mine. Let's regulate because we're not getting anywhere when we're both triggered trying to have a conversation. So we did that. You know, we, we took the space and we were able to kind of get regulated. And then we were able to come back, have the conversation and repair, um, which was very helpful. And, and, and that's sometimes what needs to happen is you just cannot continue from being in this triggered place. Speaking of taking space, we're going to take some space and take a short break. And from there, we'll kind of talk more about space taking and some solutions on a lot of this stuff we've talked about. So stay tuned and see you in a bit. back from that short break and we'll continue talking about uh some solutions on kind of the apocalypto we have been talking about about triggers for this whole episode um so one thing me and dale have talked about a lot is that taking space when you're triggered is very helpful and it sounds like really scary sometimes or very relieving depending on who you are but um you know, there's certain ways to do that that's very helpful and other ways that aren't as helpful. And just general, like, working with triggers, you know, there's so many ways to work on them. We're not going to talk about everything in the world here, but um, we'll talk about a few things that we think are helpful on those subjects for sure. So, Dale, I don't know if you want to start us off. Yeah, well, so the taking space thing, you know, it makes me think of the holidays. And, you know, I think sometimes people get sort of codependent, you know, we're with our families and you know, we, we want to, you know, be nice to everybody and we want to stay in connection with everyone and we haven't seen people in a long time. And then 
you know, somebody said something and we get into a trigger. So taking space is, is a great thing to do. I mean, it, it can be walking into another room. It can be, I'm going for a walk, right? But just noticing, oh, I'm, I might say something now, or I might start thinking, I might start ruminating. Like somebody just said something that might cause me to ruminate even about something about myself, right? Being triggered like that. So taking space is a very viable way to talk yourself, talk to yourself, work with containing what's going on for you and getting yourself regulated before you walk back into the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, what it even is going on further to do for yourself by taking space from a trigger, whether it's a um, with someone else or, you know, with yourself and whatever stimulus is triggering you, it encourages self-reliance, awareness and independence, right? Which is really a huge part of these solutions that we're going to be talking about. Um, because when you're taking space, you're taking space to essentially be by yourself. And it is really amazing what happens when you decide to be alone and be with just what's happening with you to be like, okay, this is what's going on for myself. I noticed that. Is that really true? Uh, but when, but when the trigger is like with you in the room at the dinner table, in your face, like that's when it's really hard because you're then going to be focusing on them, what they're thinking, what they're doing. I'm micromanaging their feelings and noticing the way they moved their head or the way they said that. When, if you walked away sooner, you know, you wouldn't be continually kind of in the trigger. You're inside the trigger when you're facing it. But when you walk away to face it in your own being by yourself, it's, it can be more tameable than you could imagine. And sometimes with that, it can take a while. And it can take a while to learn to practice that. And I think another value in that, I don't know if I said it already, but yeah, awareness. It's awareness of the trigger happening and awareness to catch yourself and the practice of doing that beforehand. That can be so helpful. And there are some manners with doing that when you're in a partnership, I think. And one of those would be if you have a partner that has really heavy abandonment issues, or if this relates to you, if you do get abandonment issues, you probably really want to know when the person is coming back. I'm not saying for people to just walk away from their partners, like without saying anything, you know, when you gotta, you gotta. But I think that if you are able to do your best effort to say, hey, you know, depending on the circumstance, I need to take five, I'll be back in five. Or if, you, you know, depending on the circumstance, just saying to your partner, I'm feeling really triggered right now. I'm having this big emotion and I want to handle it on my own. And I'm going to go take 20 minutes, take a walk, and I'm going to come back. That can really change the format and not trigger an abandonment for the other person. Yeah, totally. Right, Sonny. Yeah, and, it, and sometimes it might even be need, need to be overnight or a day, right? And, you know, one thing I also wanted to bring out is that often when we get triggered, there's a double-edged sword that, sword that comes into play where we'll start to, this self, this critical part of us will come up and this critical part of us will shame, will be shaming. 
or will be criticizing, you know, like, oh, well, you shouldn't be feeling that way, right? So, so you know, I know this happens with myself. And that's another, just another part to be aware of. Um, so, you know, if we're looking at the IFS framework, again, the internal family systems, there's, there's these clusters of parts that work together very often. So when you have a trigger, sometimes when you're, when you're maybe like my, one of my triggers is this fear of abandonment. So I will have this big protector that will come up very often that will, that will, you know, want to push people away. Then I'll have another part that will um, be critical. Oh, you know, you're, why are you so scared? Right? So, so really noticing all the different parts that might be activated from this trigger. I know that sounds complicated and it, and it, and it does take practice. Um, but like you keep saying awareness, 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 right? And part of being aware is, is taking, is stopping, is like taking a pause, is not acting from that, that less, lesser consciousness. It's just being with yourself. It's finding like in, in internal family systems, they call it self-energy. And there's eight C's that Dick Schwartz, who created this system, um, names when we're in self-energy. So if you can find any one of these, I'm going to read them to you. They are compassion, curiosity, calm, clarity, courage, connectedness, confidence, and creativity. If you can find one of those when you're in working with all these parts that are activated, then you're, you're, you're emerging towards self-energy, which is the adult self. Yeah, when you said all those Cs, I immediately smiled because I'm like, oh, that's such a great way to think about it. It's like, if you feel any of these eight feelings, that's a solid set, you know, you, you got a good chance out of it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I, I think that's... Um, pretty cool. And it also says that there's um, five P's that are playfulness, patience, presence, perspective, and persistence. Seems kind of cool too. Um, yeah, I think that those that's a really cool way to seek out um, working with yourself. And why we're saying it's so important to work with yourself, just to reiterate it. Um, because sometimes for some people who are not used to being as individuated, um, it can feel really triggering to be on your own. Yeah. But why is this so important? It literally goes back to the source. If we are depending on our partners to fulfill all our needs emotionally, we are depending on them as a parent and not a partner. You know, and that can be where poor dynamics and unhealthy ways of relating can occur. And that dynamic can be a rescuer and rescuee situation. And that can be a very slippery slope of being condescending and codependent, where we, when you adult, a more healthier way of interrelating is more problem-based outcomes. You know, when you're triggered, working with it as something that can be healed and worked with, which is, you know, having support, but finding solutions and encouraging independence and bringing one last model into this. I know we had a lot of models this episode, but... um the empowerment dynamic 
um, which is um, kind of an alternative model to the drama triangle, which is like a 60s psychology triangle, which has the, the rescuer, the persecutor, and the victim. Instead of that being your mindset of what's happening to you in a fight or a trigger, you're able to change that to the coach, the creator, and the challenger. And, you know, as a partner, we can play in those roles, right? We can help each other by encouraging creativity, you know, kind of coaching with each other and challenging, but it's more so with the self, like, you know, with challenging, it's becoming assertive. You can do it. With creating, I can do it. And, you know, really trying to problem solve and make something and coaching, it's like, how will you do it? So if you're trying to help your partner, see how those, instead of like, victimizing and persecuting and becoming, you know, small, instead you're becoming something else. And you're, you're encouraging yourself and your partner to be independent. You can handle your stuff, dude. Like you can be the one. How, how are you going to do it, my love? How, you know, you can do it, my love. And what are you going to create? I think that feels so much more helpful than being told what I'm going to do, how I'm not doing enough. And you know, not receiving help at all, you know? So I think that feels better. It feels better to be independent. Yeah. Yeah. That's great, Sonny. And then you're also speaking to, you know, what we can do for our partners when they're triggered, right? How we can support them. And one of, one of those ways is not criticizing and shaming them, right? Understanding, having compassion, realizing that they're in this state right now, that honestly, because their paras their sympathetic nervous system is in in play, they really cannot. It's the limbic system, and it and it kind of has these these this primal aspect to it, and we're not really in control. So just be compassionate. Don't criticize. Don't shame them. And and you know, being with a partner. Is, is a beautiful thing. Having a, having a relationship where you're both autonomous, where you can both hold yourself, is, is a really strong place to be in relationship. And, you know, when we start relying on our partners to get us out of this or, you know, to fix us, that's a really codependent place to be. And, and it's interesting. I read something, I think it was Stan Tatkin who said, you know, 25% we should be getting from our partner. And then the other 75% from our lives, from our friends, from ourselves. So, you know, to have a strong relationship, we need to be strong within ourselves. And, you know, that, that individuation process of learning to, to, to hold ourselves and be with ourselves and have that strong relationship with ourselves. It's 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 such it's such a big part of relate of relating. Right, and it, I I totally agree with what you're saying. And um, you know, what are those four steps to get back into your body and to be in the, you know, healing part of yourself? Right. It's in those moments of triggered youngness that we, by the way, we all have. We all have these parts. We all have, you know, maturing to go through. And that is not a condescending thing. You know, being triggered is normal. And that's a very Gabor Mate take is that, 
It is normal to be triggered in the way our society is going and how we are taught and how we are raised, right? So what are four ways to get back, right? Um, what are the facts? What am I making up about the facts? How do I feel about what I'm making up? And what do I need to feel better? And remember, what does that say? That's telling us that there is some story that I'm gathering about something and what is actually happening and what isn't because my brain is going to think something's happening that may or may not be, right? How do we get out of the story and start really entering the practice? How do we exit the story and enter the practice? Yeah, and, the fa and, and looking at the facts is, is huge because we do tend to go into story when we're in trauma. And, you know, there's actually a, two types of trauma. You know, there's developmental trauma, so that we have kind of in different developmental stages as we're, as we're maturing. And then there's relational trauma. And, you know, we can have one or the other or both. So we have to look at the facts from if we're working with a, with a partner or with something that someone did outside of ourselves, we have to look at those facts. And then also we have to look at the facts within ourselves, right? What are we believing? What are our perceptions, our beliefs? What are we making it mean? So there's, there's um, relationship with self and our own development. And then there's relationship with, with other. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's complex and you know, some of these, these ways of getting back to self can be simple if we can just find them. You know, if we can have enough of a, of a pause and, and, get, and stop what we're doing to just find, get, find our way in somehow, find our way back. Mm -hmm. Find the compassion, find the curiosity, find the kindness, right? And find the awareness, find the perception, and notice the story, right? Um, I think it's so important to first, I think the first step is recognizing you can change it. Yeah, and I just want to say one, you know, last thing, you know, I really, I hope everyone has a really safe and lovely holiday. And yeah, just holding you all and sending our best to you and to work with your triggers if they come up. And we'd love to hear what your experience is over the holidays or in any situation. If, if you have a trigger that came up, if you want to share what came up, how you worked with it, how you didn't work with it, um, we would love, love to hear your experiences. Yeah, please keep in touch with us over the holidays. And uh, yeah, got to say the same Keep optimistic, keep your head up, and tune into more episodes. I hope to talk about the subject again because I feel like there's a lot more to even talk about that we almost didn't cover today. And uh, please feel free to interact with our polls and questions parts in our Spotify because we want to hear more from our listeners and we want to hear more about your stories and, you know, what it is like to be in the life of you. And we would love to hear it. So thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Dale. Really appreciate you and hope to tune in with you in the next year. Happy New Year. Thank you, Sunny. Happy holidays. If you would like to join the conversation, please email Dale and I questions at sunny.nwrpodcast at gmail.com. 
relating to anything dating and relationships. Please tune in with us every time we upload for more integrative conversations relating to the self and other. If you are interested in Dale Sparagi's relationship coaching, please email her at dale at creativecorecoaching.com for private coaching sessions. Don't forget to follow our Instagram and Facebook at New Wave Relationships Podcast. We hope you join us next time for New Wave Relationships.